Joshua chapter 3. We'll look there in just a moment. This uh, week, we'll conclude Miss Pam's ministry to our church and to myself for 33 and a half years. Isn't that something? Let's give her a hand if you would. 33 and a half years. I don't know if that qualifies her for an insane asylum or not. I know it does me. But those have been uh, some pretty incredible years. And I always say I appreciate Andy for his patience and sharing her for the time, sacrificing a lot of time with her for the work that she's had to do for her church and uh, cleaning up stuff, uh, sometimes work that I will have and uh, for the church. And so uh, Andy retired, and so Pam's going to be stepping down from that. And I want you to pray for them as they uh, start a kind of a new journey in their life. They'll still be here aggravating us and blessing us. I have fun with them. I hope you don't think I'm harsh. Maybe I am. I don't mean to. This is my friends. Uh, Andy and Pam are very, very special to me. I love them deeply. And uh, next Sunday after church, we'll have a fellowship next door to honor Pam for her faithful ministry to us, not just to to me, for a lot of stuff she's done for me and our church, but to our church family. And so we want to give her a gift if you want to participate in that, and I hope you will. Uh, just write on a love gift, Pam Cisco, and we'll make sure that she gets that. You can do that through our website or, or back in the back there on the offering envelope, and that will be a blessing to her. You know, you, you, uh, I think I wrote in the bulletin that, uh, that workmen, work ladies too, but workmen uh, pass away, but the work goes on. I've never really liked that quote because to me it's a little bit cold, but it's true. And all of us have a, a date I looked at some milk, pulled it out the other day before I put it on my cereal. I said, I better look at this because we had two, we had two uh, things of milk in there, and I make sure I got the right one. I, I looked on there to make sure that this was a fresh kind. And all of us have a time when uh, maybe we don't die, but there's a time to do some fresh things. Ecclesiastes 3 is about that. My mom passed away. I lived in Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time for this and a time for that. God ministered to me through that chapter. And so I appreciate you, Miss Pam. You know that I do. And Brother Andy also will be uh, stepping down from his class. And we have, uh, we'll be saying more about these folks that will be coming in to, to fill in for them, capable people. But I, want, I appreciate these precious people, my, my good friends. And they'll still be here in our church serving and so forth, but just in, in different ways. So I want you to pray for them. 
and us as we uh, go, on, go on a new venture. I want to uh, talk to you about a very, very important subject today, and really uh, one that we've been, been coming to in this whole passage. I have probably 100 pages, I didn't stop to count them, and I'm not exaggerating, uh, 100 pages like this of single space notes. Uh, on Joshua chapter 3, uh, since January. And, and it's been for our church. I don't know that I've ever done this for uh, a sermon series that's been out of one passage. I remember uh, several years ago I was preaching out of a passage and uh, one of our precious men came to me and he said, you know, you preached on that several weeks in a row, and I thought, when is he going to get out of that? And he said, about the fourth or fifth week. He said, I got it. He said, I got it. It, it, it spoke to me, and, and I realized why. And, of course, I wasn't saying the same thing. I'm saying different things about what was in there. And he said, it, it all came together for, for me, and I hope that that will happen today. One of the saddest parts about growing old Uh, is that we have a tendency to become cynical. Not everybody does, but a lot of people do. And it's easy to lose the wonder of life. That's why we love children. That's one of the reasons I married my wife. Uh, Paula has a sense of wonder about life, and I love it. Uh, We're not impressed by anything. Life becomes boring. We become joyless people. It's a dangerous place to be. And this is not just lost people. This, this is uh, people that profess the name of God where we just go on. And by the way, you don't have to be old to do this. You can be young like this. I think that the tablets and all of the entertainment that young people have today, that their soul ages fast. You can be young and have an old soul. And God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to be young at heart. The Bible teaches in John chapter 10 and verse 10, it speaks about this, the enemy, Satan. And it speaks about our Savior, the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, the thief cometh not. This is Satan. This is the only time he comes into your life, into your family's life, into church. The thief cometh not. This is his only purpose, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants to take something from you. If he can't kill you and he can't bring destruction in your life, he wants to take something from you. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life, not just eternal life, but that you might have life more abundantly. Those last two words there, more abundantly, here's what that means. Get this, it means excessive in quantity and superior in quality. I want to say that again. Life more abundantly, excessive in quantity and superior in quality. Jesus said, I came not only to give you a, a eternal life, but I came to give you a quality of life that's superior to the world. It is unable to be measured. 
I came to give you an abundant life. Even in the middle of trials. I was talking to Paula about this yesterday for a while. I said, I, in the face of trials, I don't want to get so burdened with my trials that I, that I forget the goodness of God and, and lose the joy that He has provided for us. And by the way, joy is not some abstract quality. You don't seek joy. You seek Jesus. The Bible says in Psalm 16 and verse 11, David said, Thou wilt show me the path of life. Watch this, the path of life. And he speaks of his God. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Notice there are degrees of joy there. Fullness of joy at thy right hand, which is the place of privilege, the, the place of, of, his, of his presence, are pleasures forevermore. Now, if you've been saved for five minutes, you've been saved for 80 years, it, it's for you. This fullness of joy, the, these pleasures. Now, one of the takeaways I want you to have from, from these verses is that God is a God of emotion. You can't help but find that out when you read the scriptures. The Bible says that God delights. In the book of Micah, it says he delights in mercy. It doesn't just say he he has mercy. He delights in mercy. Now think of that. Can, can I borrow your brain? Can you just stop for a minute and just think? God doesn't just extend mercy. He delights in it. God laughs. And one of the minor prophets, and they're called minor prophets because they're shorter books, not because they're less important. The Bible says that God sings over us. He sings. We've read these verses where he, he has joy. He gets angry. He loves us. The Bible says he grieves. He sorrows. And these are just a few of the emotions. This is not the purpose of my message. I'm setting up something here. But a few of the range of emotions. And listen, the Bible says that you are creating the image of God. Now it's marred because of sin, but you are creating the image of God. And that's why you're an emotional person. Now you may not express it, but you feel it. And some people say, well, I'm not emotional. Well, you're, you're, God made you that way. God created you to be emotional because he, He's an emotional God. And you reflect His glory. But here's, here's one that's difficult to comprehend. Okay, now stay with me. Here's an emotion that is difficult for me to express, but I'm going to share it with you here. That God wonders. I've been reading a lot of Tozer in recent months, A.W. Tozer, about the God's attributes. An almighty, eternal God who has everything that he needs. He's self-sufficient. But the Bible says that there are times, listen, that he is amazed. Now wait, how can God, who knows the future from the past, how can he be amazed? Now I can understand how I could, and I can wonder, but how can 
the one who created the universe and flung the stars into existence, how can he be amazed? How can he wonder? But the Bible says that God at times is amazed, not very often, but he is. There was a military officer. He was a he was a Gentile. And he came to Jesus. He had a servant. And he said, I, I've heard about you and I know you can heal my servant. But you don't, you don't even need to come. You can speak the word because this Gentile military officer, he said, I'm a centurion. I have officers under me. And as a man under authority... I understand the principle of authority and spiritual authority. You you need but speak the word being miles away and my servant would be healed. And you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 10? Here's what he said. When Jesus heard this man say this, he marveled. He marveled. And he said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He wondered, he was amazed. He marveled at this man who had so much faith in him that he could heal from a distance, understanding the principle of authority, and had so much faith in him, he marveled. Amazing. And then another time when Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth where he was raised up. And everybody knew him. They knew his father, his stepfather Joseph. They knew his mother Mary. They knew his brothers and sisters. Yes, Jesus had brothers and sisters. After him, we even have their names given in the Gospel of John. And they tended to take him for granted. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, and if you read the whole context, the Bible says, and he could, Jesus could there. Now, there is in Nazareth, do no mighty work. He couldn't do any miracles, save or accept that he laid his hands upon. Now, here's what I want you to see. A few, a few sick folk. He could do a little bit, but not a lot. And he healed them. Now look at this. Remember in Matthew 8, he marveled because of a man's faith. Here he marveled because of their unbelief. You see that? The only two times in the Bible that God marveled regarded one thing, faith, and it had to do with their, their belief or their unbelief. Now this is important. When Jeremiah was a little boy and he wanted something, he would come to us in Aubrey. They'd say, this is important. <laughs> this is important. In the same incident, it says it a little different way. I want to quote from a parallel gospel when Jesus was in Nazareth in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58. And Jesus did not many mighty works in Nazareth. That's the there. And here he just simply puts because of their unbelief. My question for me today, does God marvel at my life because of my faith 
Or does he marvel at my unbelief? Because I hang around the Bible so much and I hang around church so much. And some of you are full of Bible conferences and the Word of God and you're faithful to church. You know so much. But God does so little for you, but it's not because of Him. It's because of your unbelief. And He marvels. He's amazed. Why, why don't you trust Him? He's willing. The story we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the, the back end of it and finish this off, is an encouragement to you and to our church of what God can do when an individual, a church, believes God for who He is and what He can do. And here's the lesson. I want you to trust God to do what you cannot do. See, God asks us to do some things, and then we stop. Well, I can't do anymore. I've done all I can do. Yeah, but you trust God. Faith is doing everything that you can do and trusting Him for what you cannot do. Now, He initiates the beginning. Faith is really A to Z. He initiates the idea. We trust Him to do that. But God asked me to cooperate with him and walk with him. And then there reaches a point where God, I've done all I can do. I can't do anything else. He said, I got you right where I want you. I want you to trust me. I want you to believe me. So here is Joshua with the people. His mentor has died. He died prematurely, Moses. He's led the nation up to the border of the promised land. God has promised that they were going to go in there. They're about to go in, but there's a, there's a problem. There's a Jordan River. But the problem is compounded. The Bible teaches that the river is swollen. It's harvest season. And it's in the springtime. And so it's at flood stage. And the lowest place on the, on the point of the earth, I was telling Paula last night, is in the Dead Sea. And it's right by Galilee. And this is right where the lowest place on the planet is. And during harvest season, it, it accelerates about a thousand feet from where uh, the Galilee empties into the, the Dead Sea. It's called the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea. I, I've been in it and actually, say, swam, floated in it. Uh, because nothing grows there. We were watching Sylvester Stallone in a movie last night, and I told Paul, I said, he was there a few months before we were in the Dead Sea, and he almost died. And Paul said, how? I said, well, because he, he was in a boat. They showed us he went out in this boat, and he dove, and they told him not to do it. And when you swallow that stuff, it'll, it can kill you because it's, called a dead, it's not called the Dead Sea by accident. Of course, he didn't die, but no person is immune from God's laws. And so it begins to accelerate about a thousand feet. And that during the season, the rainy season, it, it begins to come about 10 miles an hour. And, and it begins to, it, it's just a raging torrent. It's impossible for them to cross that river. Now, there's three characteristics of faith that I want to give to you. I'm not going to be able to read the entire text. I'll read it as we go along here uh, because of my voice this morning. If you want to write some things down, you can write a couple of things down that may help you. Number one, 
Faith enables me to know God better. Faith enables me to know God better. Now, as I, as I walk with God, I'm only able to know God by my faith. But here's where we get mixed up. We say, well, preacher, you read those verses about God is amazed by my unbelief. And if I can only believe stronger, you do not gain more faith by looking at your faith. You gain faith by looking at the object of your faith. One of the most precious stories to me in all the Bible is in the Gospel of Mark. And it talks about a man who had a sick child. And he came to Jesus and he said, I need some help for my child. He's sick. And Jesus said, do you believe? You know what the man said? He said, Lord, help thou mine unbelief. And the Lord helped him. Don't you listen carefully to me. Whenever there's a presence of doubt, there's the presence of faith. You hear me? When there's the presence of doubt, there's the presence of faith because you're trying to believe. But faith is not sourced in you, it's sourced in the object. So there's nothing wrong with you struggling as long as you're saying, God, help my unbelief. But you don't get strong faith. You may still think you have a weak faith as long as you're looking at the object. One of my favorite ways to illustrate this is is there was a storm back in the days when they had the uh, little uh, ships that, that went by sail. And uh, back in the 1800s, and it hit upon a rock and many of the people were lost and died. And after the, the storm persuaded, they, they found someone out on one of those rocks offshore, just holding on, grabbing onto that rock, freezing and cold. And they knew what had happened. Those, the wind and the waves had just lapped up upon that person all through the night in the cold. They brought them in and they interviewed them, the newspapers and one of the few survivors, and they said, well, tell us about the wreck, what happened, and tell us about your survival. Well, when the ship crashed and I crashed upon a rock, I knew that if I don't grab this rock, this is I'm going to die. And he said, desperately, I grabbed and shimmied up the best I could, fully expecting I'm going to die. I was here all night long. And they said, well, the wind and the cold... It was very cold last night. I'm sure you were cold and you were, you were shivering and you were shaking. He said, oh, I was shaking all night long. And then he said this, but the rock wasn't. And I'm telling you, there have been many times that my, my faith has been shaking, but the rock doesn't shake. And the way you cultivate your faith is, is not by looking at your faith, but you look at the rock of God's character. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. The Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please him, to please God. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do you see that? And you will not seek him if you do not think he is worthwhile. 
It's impossible to please the Lord without your faith. And one of the interesting things is in the Old Testament, especially after a person had an experience with God, sometimes a trial or some other means where God had asked them to do something, God revealed him to to that person and then gave a new name. And the New Testament often gave the person a new name as it did the Old Testament, but often gave himself, God himself, a new name. Let me give you a couple of examples. Abraham was 99 years old. He promised they would, God had promised they would have a, a child to promise. That would be Isaac. In Genesis chapter 17, the child wasn't born yet. And God came to establish, reestablish his covenant. When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. You see these names? The Lord, the Almighty God, walk before him, be thou perfect. The word Lord there in caps, all caps is Jehovah. I am the I am. I am self-existent. All you need is me. And then in verse 2, I will make my covenant between me and thee, between me and you, Abraham, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his faith. And I want you to notice, and God And God talked with him. You know what that word is? I don't want to go too deep on this. It's the word Elohim. It's the creative work. It's used over and over. In the beginning, God created. And it's used over and over and over again in Genesis 1. It's the word supreme. God talked. All of these words for God. God is introducing himself to Abraham. Even before he's Abraham, he's Abram. Letting him know himself, who he is, in his most difficult time. And then in chapter 17, in verses 7 and 8, a few verses down. I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be a God unto thee. That's the word Elohim. And to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I will be your Elohim. I will be your your supreme God. There's none like me. Here's what he's doing. He's revealing himself to Abraham during a time of a trial, during a time of communication, and he's asking him to believe in him. Now stay with me. Faith enables you to know God better. You're not going to know God if you don't walk by faith. Remember when God gave Abraham Isaac, and then he asked Isaac, I was reading this passage a few weeks ago, to offer him upon the altar. In Genesis chapter 22, and verse 14, remember what happened? When he said, I don't want you to do that. I never wanted you to do that. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. It is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, that is Mount Moriah, it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh, God will see to provide. God sees past, present, future 
to provide. God sees your need and will provide. That's the first time that's used. Why? Because, listen, God brought Abraham to a place and he trusted him. And Abraham had an experience with God in a trial. And God delivered him. And Abraham saw him in a fresh way, but it was only through his faith. Some of you are baby Christians and you don't know God well because of your lack of faith. You've you've never experienced God. You've never put your whole weight on him. I think about Gideon when Gideon kept asking God and negotiating with God, well, give me a sign and do this for me. I'm not making fun of him. Maybe I would have done the same thing. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 24, Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. It's another name for God. God is peace or God brings peace. Anytime Abram went back to Mount Moriah, he said there's where God provided. It was a place for him to remember. This altar spoke spoke to Gideon of peace. But it was his altar. It was for him. Yesterday in our home, I was looking in our backyard at a particular tree that has meaning for me. And it has faith meaning for me, not for you. Nobody else in my family, but it does for me. A lot of faith. A lot of significance. God's done a work in my life in so many ways, but because of the walk I've had with Him. Listen, the greatest loss you'll ever have from your unbelief is not the possessions you do not have, but the lack of knowledge you do not gain. I want you to notice here in the Bible, look at Joshua chapter 3 and verse 9. Let's start in verse 8. Joshua 3a, And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water, ye shall stand still in Jordan. He's talking to the priest. Now remember, this is a raging torrent. Stand still. You'll see this again. That was their word. And then he said unto the children of Israel, to the people, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. Look at that last phrase there. The Lord your God. Lord, there it is, Jehovah, self-existent, eternal God. He is your God. Jehovah is your God. You know what he's doing? He's saying, you're you're about to to cross his Jordan, and there must be angst in your heart. They had never seen, in part, the Red Sea. They'd only heard about it. But now, this was their Red Sea moment. But he's reminding them that that he is their God. And and on the other side, they're going to see it. But they're not on the other side. They're on this side of the miracle. And he's reminding them, he's Jehovah their God. He's the Lord. They'll know it over there, but they have to claim it over here. Notice in verse 10, Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God, he's a living God, he's among you. How? How will you know he's among you? That he will without fail drive out from before you. And he gives these lists of the enemies that were living over there. And the territories hereby that you will know this is a living God. A strong, a mighty God. He keeps his promise. He's going to to drive out these enemies without fail. 
He's the Lord your God. He's a living God. Verse 11, Joshua's still talking. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant, even the Lord of all the earth, passeth over before you into Jordan. The word Lord there means master. It means owner. It means sovereign. But notice who, who he's sovereign over, all the earth. And why is he saying that? Because he's not just sovereign over the, the desert, the wilderness where they just came out of. You're fixing to go into, into Canaan and there's enemies over there. You're going to have to fight for this. But he's sovereign over all the earth. And I want you to see the, these faith messages, the, these word of God messages that he is giving to them about who God is. He's the Lord your God. He's a living God. He's the Lord of all the earth. Now get this. On the other side of the flood, they're going to know all this is true. He is a living God. He is our God. He is the Lord of all the earth. But if you want to know God better, it's not, you're not just going to have to read the Bible. You're going to have to apply the Bible. And you're going to have to get your feet wet. You're going to have to do what He tells you to do. Sometimes it's going to be scary. There's so many stories. I, I'll i just tell you one. I almost didn't tell this because I've told it a couple of times before, but there's some that have never heard this. Many years ago, I'm talking like many, many years ago, in the late 80s, I'd heard a singer that was 93 years old, and I wanted you to hear him. He sang for Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, the baseball player, sang one of his campaigns. And I fell in love with this guy. I didn't get to shake his hand. I came home and I called the ministry where I'd heard him sing at. And I said, could I have his phone number? And they gave it to me. He lived over northwest of Atlanta. Got him on the phone. I said, would you come to our church? He said, I would love to come to your church. And we got him in here and he brought his precious wife. We had a grand time. I played the piano for him. He's a singer. And... uh it was terrific. I gave him the evening service, and he sang a bunch in the morning service. I asked him questions about singing for Billy Sunday and a whole bunch of other people. Man, I'm talking all of these these well known people that are that are in heaven now, but and we're in heaven then too. It was remarkable. On lunch on Saturday, uh, I said, "Well, now how old are you?" And he told me. He said, "Well, my birthday's coming up. It was like in two or three weeks." We took he and his wife back to the hotel, and I said, Paul, I, I really want, let's do something. Let's get a birthday cake for him. And I don't know if anybody else is going to sing happy birthday to him, but let's, do, let's get a birthday cake for him. And so we sang happy birthday to him and brought it down the aisle and sang to him. And, and Howard Jewell, that was his name, Howard Jewell, became my friend. We stayed in touch. Years passed, four or five years. Our, our ministry, we had a school ministry. We had two mortgages on our church, and we were stretched very thin. We were in the summer. We were having a hard time, very, very difficult time financially. And sometimes payroll wasn't met. It was just tough. Sometimes we weren't able to have air conditioning and things but we were we were 
trusting God. We were just pressing on to do what we were supposed to do. One August, I was sitting over here in the office where the children's wing is now. And and I was sitting in there and the uh, secretary brought in the mail and laid it on my desk. And I just glanced at it and didn't really want to look at it. And then there was a big, thick folder and it was from an attorney in Georgia. And I'm serious. I said, now, now I'm getting sued. And I didn't know anything I'd have done. I thought three or four people in our church that could have been sued, but not me. I'm just kidding. But I thought, oh, man, now somebody's suing us. I'll, I'll open that later. I can't deal with it now. I just let it lay there. Finally, before I had to go home, I opened it up. And sure enough, it was an attorney's letter, a very thick file of stuff. Uh, Dear Pastor Johnson, I'm sure you were notified that Howard Jewell had passed away. And he had like a year before. And uh, he has left you in his will. I didn't know that. And he visited your church and he came home and he put you in his will. Nobody told me that. And then I continued reading and there was a list of of 13, I recall, institutions. They were all Christian colleges and some individuals that he had put into his will. And then in his handwriting... He had written my name and the name Rick Johnson, pastor of Friendship Baptist Church, or Trying to Village Baptist Church. He had written my name. He said um, he wants you to have part of the monies. And I remember I folded that up and I took it home and I showed it to Paula and my heart was so touched. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, you know, Rick, God is just telling you he, he wants you to just just be faithful to him. And, and I experienced God that day. That's been almost 40 years ago, and I'm still telling you about it. Just be faithful. Do what God tells you to do. Honor him. Just trust the Lord. Do do what He tells you to do. Faith enables you to know God better. Number two, faith anticipates a work of God. Anticipates a work of God. I want you to notice in Joshua chapter 4, look at verse 12. We won't spend a lot of time here. Now therefore, take ye twelve men out of the tribes. tribes, uh, That sounded like a cartoon there, didn't it? Twibes of Israel. Out of the twibes of Israel. Take ye... Twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man. Now what he was going to do is leave these stones in the middle of the stream so that nobody but God could see them and then put twelve stones representing each tribe over on the other side. And they weren't fully cognizant of what God was doing, but it was for memorial. And by faith they were to anticipate the work that what God was going to do about to do. So 
Faith enables you to know God better if you'll dare trust Him. Secondly, faith anticipates the work that God is going to do. Now, I want you to listen to this statement. In that moment, they were doing things in the present when they put those stones in the stream to to show that they knew that God was going to do something that He hadn't done yet. They were doing something in the present to show God that they knew that He was going to do something that He hadn't done yet. When my precious daughter-in-law, John's wife, Ani, they've had a number of miscarriages. And John called me one night several years ago and his heart was touched. And he said, Dad, I want to tell you a story. He said, we've left this nursery up, this dedicated nursery for a new baby. And we've lost these babies and we've been so disappointed that I went in. And this touches me to tell the story. And I was had my wrench and I was pulling down the the crib and stuff to put it up. I felt like it was hurting hurting Ani too much every time she went in there, reminding her we can't have kids. And um, and she came in. He said, "I I had hard to get started." She said, "John, let's don't do that." He said, I, I really wanted to do it. I felt like it was hurting. She said, I don't want to do that yet. So let's go talk about it. And he said, Don, he said, let's keep it up just as a memorial. Let's just trust God. And they uh, put out to adopt a baby. And then some of you know the story. Some of you kindly have helped them buy some things that Ani made other ways and the little boy and they still pray for that boy they lost that boy still pray for him God would have mercy on him and then uh, their son Justice that's their boy and then they adopted this little girl in September Paul and I flew out with them for a week or so in Utah to help them and they named her Mercy But they left that crib in there when they didn't have a baby. I want to ask you, what, what are you anticipating? I heard about an area, community that needed rain really bad. Preacher called a prayer meeting and he said, Now, we need some rain. I want you to go together and pray. The crowd gathered together. He just dismissed the crowd. He said, preacher, we came to pray. He said, we're not going to pray. He said, nobody brought umbrellas. You're dismissed. A little bit of a point there, isn't it? What are you anticipating? We hear this, well, I believe it when I see it. Faith is you'll see it when you believe it. Say, preacher, that's a little bit reckless. No, that's faith. That's faith. That's God's ways. It isn't without faith, it's impossible 
please Him. Psalm 27, 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Have you lost your spirit of expectancy? Have you become complacent? Are you just content with your life? And I'm not talking about money now. I'm talking about spiritual matters. Are you just used to your life, used to your church? So you, well, I don't, I don't, I don't like our church. I'll just go somewhere else. Well, why don't you change? Why don't you be an agent of change? I remember many years ago when I first became the pastor, and a, a sweet lady, a good lady, boy, she could sing like a bird. She could sing so well. And she said, well, I, I've always wanted to sing. I'm going to go to a place where we have a choir. And I remember so discouraging. We'll never have anything. <laughs> I can't ever do anything because I can't get anybody to stay that can do stuff. I'm so discouraged. What kind, what kind of anticipation do you have? And that, that has to do with faith. Colossians 2, 6 says, You have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Which was by faith. Now watch this. Walk, so walk, ye and him. Walk by faith. Well, I remember when I, I used to live by faith. You ought to still live by faith. That means in your giving financially, that means in your ministry. That means there's times when you show up when you don't feel like it. Now, I know I'm not saying come when you're sick, but I mean, I'll be honest, I think sometimes you don't show up when you'll go to work. Second Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. This is my walk. I ought to have prayers answered every day, every day. Luke eleven three, give us day by day our daily bread. You ever heard that? Not just, it's called daily bread for a reason. It just doesn't mean your food. It's just things you need. I know you've heard this: how they train elephants. You know when they when they're young, they take these big these big. Uh, Steaks, steel steaks, and then they take those little, the baby elephants, and they, they tie their legs to them, and they can't get away, and they can't get away, and they grow up, and in their mind, and elephants do have good memories, that's true. I'm stuck to that stake. And before the politically correct crowd destroyed the circus, and they take these animals and the elephants would get off and and if you've ever been back there and see them they 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 have these wooden stakes and sometimes small seal stakes they drive in the concrete and I remember saying man they could walk off of that thing do you know why they don't they feel the least restraint they, oh I can't I can't go because their mind tells them I'm not a success my daddy told me I always be a failure the last time I did that, I failed. I'm not really gifted in that area. 
I remember my, one of my mentors, Dr. Robertson, he'd get up and he'd say, have faith in God. He'd just say, have faith in God and make you want to do something. But really the most important part of that is in God. Have faith in God, not myself. Have you lost your anticipation, your expectation? I had a prayer request that I prayed every day for about two or three years, every day. And, and my, my trigger was the shower. When I took a shower, I, I'd remember it. Okay, God. And about five minutes, and I knew how much it cost. And, and I, you know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. So I said, Lord, I need this amount of money. And I didn't tell anybody. I told nobody. So I believe because this is a need. This is not a want. This is a need. And I believe you're going to provide this. Day after day, week after week, and month after month. And one day I missed, and the days became a week, and the weeks became a month. And one day I was in there taking a shower, and I realized, man, I hadn't prayed for that in a long time. I lost my spirit of expectancy. And you know, God did answer that prayer. It was just, He didn't give me the money. He gave it to me in, 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 a, in a more precious way. You know, it was for, it's for here, Nates. And the way He gave it to me was so precious. I said, God, I need these here, Nates. And I kept assaulting heaven. And God said, wait, wait. And every day I just pray and pray. He heard me. Faith enables you to know God better. Faith anticipates the work of God. And I'll mention this. Faith does the impossible. It does the impossible. You see, you live a natural life. God can do the supernatural. If you'll notice in verse 11, verse 13 came to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests, that's important, that bear the ark of the Lord of all the earth, there it is again, that title, shall rest in the waters of Jordan. The waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap, almost like a dam, different than the way it did in the Red Sea. Verse 15, and as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, the feet of the priests, there it is again, that bear the ark, were dipped in the brim of the water. Now, that wasn't easy, remember. It was, it was rolling, baby. I mean, it, it was rough. Jordan overfloweth all his banks at the time of harvest. But the waters which came down from above and rose upon a heap very far from the city Adam. And... Uh, gives the geographical information there. They were cut off and the people passeth over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground. Dry ground. That's part of the miracle. In the midst of Jordan and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground to all people passed clean over Jordan. God did a miracle. But they had to get their they had to get their they had to get their feet wet. That's where God meets you. Is is when your your first step of faith is when your feet get wet. It's it's where you get scared. 
I wrote down some things. For some of you, that's, that's writing your tithe check. Oh, Lord, if I write that, I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of it. God, God is your first creditor. God doesn't owe 10%. He doesn't own 10. He owns 100. He's my first creditor. For some of you, getting your feet wet means getting involved in life group. Just coming at 9.15 and we had such a good time today. And it, boy, it was good. For some of you, it means serving on a ministry team. Getting your feet wet. For some of you, it means restoring a broken relationship. Being the first one to make the phone call, say, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry I responded that way. For some of you, it means sharing the gospel, inviting somebody to Easter. For some of you, it means getting baptized. You've been saved, but you've never been baptized. My brother got saved and he got baptized for several years because he was bigger than a lot of other people and he, he was afraid to do it. For some of you, it may mean just taking a course to help you grow in the Word of God and in the will of God. The first step sometimes is the hardest step. My pastor used to say during the invitation time, if you'll take the first step, God will help you take the rest of them. I believe that. God wanted me to go to Tennessee Temple University in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And and I knew it, and I planned for it, and I got all ready to go, and I had all my fees paid but my first month. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And I went to... I heard a man preach on August the 27th, 1976. Some have said, he's just making those dates up. No, they're faith dates. They're faith dates. That's when God talks to me and I remember them. August 27th, 1976. The preacher got up and he preached when... When Gideon told God, where, where be all the miracles? You said you were going to do stuff for us. You said we, now we're, we're, we're in this pitiful condition. And the preacher began to preach to us about how God wanted to take care of us. And it was such a good message. And I, I remember sitting, I could take you in Atlanta where I heard that message. And sitting thinking, well, I'd like to go to school. I don't have money right now. I don't know what we're going to do. And in his sermon, he said, some of you, God wants you to go to a Christian college and he can, he can make a way. And it struck an arrow on my heart. I found a manuscript of that sermon. It's in my home. And I can take you to that line where he said that. And I took that as a rema from God, a special word for my heart. I said, God, I know you want me to go. I'm going to go. And during the invitation, the man that preached, he said, I want all the pastors to come and stand here. And he said, and there were probably, it was a large convention, about 10,000 people there. 
There were probably 600, 700 pastors there. He said, if God spoke to you about a need you have, I want you to come tell one of the pastors and they'll pray for you. And my heart was challenged and tears were streaming down my face. And the choir began to sing, God can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything but fail. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. God can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything but fail. And I took that preacher's hand. I said, God wants me to go to Tennessee Temple. And I don't have the money, but would you pray for me? I don't know his name. I've never met him since. Went back to my seat. I had to enroll less than two weeks later, less than 14 days later, after Labor Day. And through a miraculous course of events, God provided for my first month. That's how I went to the temple for those four years, month by month. I worked at Radio Shack. I worked for the city of Huntsville. I worked for Huntsville City Schools. But in that in that time, God said, I'm going to take care of you. Faith is doing everything that you can do and trusting God to do what you cannot. What does God want to do in your life and in your family and in your marriage and in our church? He can do it. Every, everything we've done since I've been the pastor, when I say since I've been the pastor, I don't elevate myself just as a point of reference. We paid for. We paid off those two mortgages. And we renovated our auditorium. We paid for it. We renovated the nurseries. And those were our offices and and we, so many of you were here, you remember that. We renovated the fellowship room, built a kitchen in there. We paid for that. We redid some of the Wagler building down here, and those bathrooms were in woe need. We did all the bathrooms and put in a little kind of a kitchenette, sort of, in there. And it was expensive but we we paid for that. We've never had any debt here. A little church to the glory of God. I've never believed if you build it, they will come. There's a movie, I forget what it is, baseball movie, something. If you build it, they will come. That's not true. But if you build it and you don't take care of it, and you don't have excellence, they won't stay. I do believe that. And so a ministry is always in a constant, just like your home, is in constant renovations. And we need some renovations. We'll be talking to you about a couple of them uh, in the next month or so. Some of you don't know, but as you go out the door, right underneath there, there's a basement. 
And we want to renovate that into a multi-purpose room to use for our teenagers, long-term, short-term, and also use for other small groups. And last of all, there's storm shelter. If we need from 1989, that tornado, some of you too young to remember, that tore through here on a Wednesday, we were having services. And we it just missed our church not far. And we gathered down there. We need a lot of work down there for that. We, we'd like to get that prepared. Some of our audiovisual, some of our sound equipment is older. Uh, we need to get that updated and fixed. I was at a funeral this past week. And uh, three people separately not together in the same huddle or group, just separately, approached me. One man said, uh, uh, I listened to three of your sermons uh, last week. So you did. He said, yeah, I listened to you preach a lot on on the what you put up on live stream and then in the, in, in the uh, archives. I didn't know that. Another man told me, he said, I listen to your sermons a lot. And then someone else said, I watch your services. And our goal is not to be a mega church. We, we want to please God. But we want to do it with, with a spirit of excellence. And I don't know when the Lord Jesus is coming but as a stewardship that I have as a pastor, I want to do my best with what I can with our church to create something that our, our Father will be proud of, that would honor Him, and help us to be able to reach more people. I want you to bow your heads with me in prayer, if you would. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.